just to kind of focus in on what God has for us. I'm going to pray. God, please have your will right now in my mind. Bring me what I need to have to walk out of this room knowing you better, loving people better, living life the way you want it to be. Your will, not mine. Amen. So when I read passages like this, I'm always amazed at the disciples' willingness and ability to openly stand up against the authorities of their lives, even after imprisonment and a severe beating. But because of the culture in which I have lived, I have never been in a similar situation. So my ability to apply their approach to how I should live my life has always been extremely limited to non-existent. I often just say something like, wow, that's crazy, and then go on with my day. You guys know what I'm saying? But during the past week of studying this passage, I was reminded that every story in the Bible has a universal principle, truths that can be applied to every person's life regardless of the situation in which they live. For me, Acts 5 has shown me the guiding premise of the disciples' actions, what motivated them to boldly stand up, and that can be applied directly to your life. They were living as if what they believed was true. They were living as if what they believed was true. Instead of their belief in the God of the Bible simply being a box that they checked off when they were going to vote, it was one of the most important motivators of how they live their life. If you're a Christian, how often do you live like this? If you're a follower of Jesus, how often do you live as if Jesus is real? And I'm asking these questions to myself. I've been meditating on this all week. If you are one who believes that everything, including us, was created by an all-powerful and perfect being that has an immense love for his creation, so much so that he came and died in our place so that way we could be redeemed from our own selfishness, how often do you make decisions through this filter? And we live in a world full of different religious and spiritual beliefs. According to one organization that census things, they state that there are over 4,300 religious religions on the globe. Now, we all know about Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, Mormonism. Right? We know about Jehovah's Witnesses, Wicca, atheists. But there are endless more beliefs that people have created and used to govern and influence their life by consumerism in modern-day America or hedonism, which is heavily practiced during the rally. Simply put, religion is defined as a pursuit or interest to which someone ascribes supreme importance. Now, I feel like the reason we ascribe supreme importance to a belief system is because we are all searching for answers to the most fundamental questions we have. Who am I? Where did I come from? What is my purpose in this life? What happens to me when I die? Now, it doesn't matter who you are, in what century you were born, or in what country you live. These are the questions that every single person wrestles with and, based on their answers, structures their entire life around. The disciples or apostles in the first century, in first century Jerusalem fall into the same camp. 
Now, over the past two months, we've been reading through and studying the early days of the church, specifically Acts 1 through 5. In this verified historical document, we see men and women who believe that Jesus is God. And out of this belief system, they are living lives that are unique, lives that are are having a powerful impact on the people around them. This morning, I want us to examine two different reasons why I believe the disciples are eagerly building their lives on Jesus to the point of being willing to suffer pain, persecution, even death. There's two things, philosophical truth and personal experience. Now, philosophical truth, to put simply, philosophy is the study of reality or existence. So when we study reality and existence, it's trying to figure out what life is all about. In verse 20, we see this notion addressed. Acts 5, verse 20. The Holy Spirit tells them after he releases them from, the spirit, from prison, go, stand in the temple and tell the people the whole message about this life. Man, this phrase has stuck with me since I read it a week and a half, two weeks ago. Go and tell the whole message about this life. The Spirit didn't say go and tell people about Jesus, although that is definitely a part of their message. He said go and tell them the whole message about this life. And this is a weighty command. Go and tell strangers everything that they need to know about life, who they are in this world, where they came from, What can bring them purpose, genuine, life-giving purpose? And what happens to them when they die? Now, imagine if someone told you to do that. I would pucker up immediately. But in verse 21, we see Peter and John go for it. When they heard this, right, that message, that command, they entered the temple at daybreak and went on with their teaching. Now, from what we've read in the previous chapters, the Holy Spirit is definitely has a major role in giving them courage. We see this explicitly stated in chapter 4, verse 31. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. But something that can be easily overlooked is the message that they are sharing. We are amazed at their courage, but don't take the time to think through what they are telling others. Peter and John, they grew up in Jewish homes and were most likely taught the Torah and the prophets, what we know as, what we know as the Old Testament. When they met Jesus, he taught them the proper ways to view the Torah and the prophets and then brought them an even greater understanding of the God of Israel and the plans he has for his people. So when they're sharing the whole message of this life, the Spirit was directing them to simply share the truths of the Bible. Take a moment to consider that. That applies directly to you and I, to just share the truths of the Bible. Because the Bible contains all of the answers to the deepest questions we have. If you don't believe me, let me give you a few examples. It shows why we and the rest of this amazingly complex world exist. Is because of the work of an all-powerful and eternal creator, which helps us explain why the world is so perfectly designed and runs completely on its own. 
It also lets us know why we are always provided for, why the earth continually produces what mankind needs to survive. You notice how the rain has always fallen? Crops are always growing. Sun is always shining. The Bible also speaks to our identity as children of our Creator, that we are made in His image, which tells us why there is value in every single person. No matter who you are, where you come from, what you look like, what you do, what heritage you hold on to, you were created in the image of a perfect and good God. Therefore, according to the Bible, everyone is of value and should be treated as so. The Word of God also clearly explains why there's brokenness in this world. It's because we've been given free will, the ability to choose. Because when we choose to reject our Maker's plans for our lives, then we experience the natural consequences of our foolish choices. We are the reason why this world has pain, loss, and death. But the whole message of this life does not stop there. If it did, it would be very similar to religions like Buddhism. The world is full of chaos. Let's find ways to escape the pain. Instead, the Bible, from cover to cover, gives hope. It speaks of promises that God will redeem his people. It shows dozens and dozens and dozens of examples of him stepping into brokenness to bring restoration. Times when all a person has to do is cry out to the maker of everything, and then he brings what only he can bring. And these examples aren't just mythical stories like so many other religions contain. They are historically proven events like Jesus conquering the grave. If the Pharisees produced a body, imagine what would have happened to Christianity. Poof, gone. The apostles and disciples running home. Man, I could keep talking about the deep truths of the Bible for hours. Let me just give you two more ways that the Bible gives the whole message of this life. It also gives mankind direct purpose. It clearly speaks on why we, were, why we were created and how we were supposed to live if we want to live the life, best life possible. And for all of us, that's one of our deepest desires, to live our lives well. Last one. It tells what happens to a person when they die. It gives very defined answers to where a person's soul, that's the deepest part of who they are, goes when their heart stops beating. And it shows us the power we have on which direction we go. And I hope you're getting an idea of what I am proposing. The Bible and its truths are unlike any other system of belief. It provides more, more legitimate answers than any other religion or spiritual belief to every single, every single question that a person's soul is pondering. And if you don't believe me, read it. Spend a month or a year giving yourself the time to think, to ponder on a deeper level the truths that it is promoting. In the year that I did this, it completely changed my view of the Bible and the world. Right? 2011 was a total 180 for me. And you do not have to do this alone. Join one of Rimrock Downtown's small groups. We got three that have been going all summer. This fall we'll have more. Ask a friend, a spouse, or one of your kids to read through the book of, a book of the Bible with you. Gibson, my son, and I have been doing 
the Samuels for the last two months. Every morning when we eat breakfast, we read and we talk through it. It can be as simple as reading one section or a chapter a day and then spending five to ten minutes writing your thoughts on what the Bible is teaching. Man, I promise you, if you make time to read and think through the Bible, it will begin slowly changing your view of life, yourself, and others. And in describing most likely the power of the Old Testament, the author of Hebrews put it this way in Hebrews 4.12. And you guys have heard this if you've been a part of the church. Indeed, the Word of God, right, the Bible, what God speaks, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. I know there's stories from you guys that would support the evidence that this is true, that the Bible and its words have given you things that nothing else could. It's changed your life. And I believe that this is one of the reasons why Peter and John were willing to openly proclaim Christianity in the face of opposition, because they were sharing what they and the rest of humanity was seeking legitimate answers to our deepest questions, or as the Spirit put it, the whole message about this life. And in the answers it brings can bring change that nothing else can. But please don't stop with knowledge. Right? Very intellectual people have studied the Bible all the way through and not experienced that legitimate change in their life. Because you must go one step further. You must also examine the way that God has directly interacted with your life. It seems like that's what his disciples did. We see this in potentially my interpretation of this in uh, Acts 5, 27 through 29. So this is after they've been brought back from um, the temple. When they had brought them, they had them stand before the council the high priest questioned them, saying, we gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. Yet here you, are, here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than any human authority. Man, this is such a bold thing to say. If you keep reading, you can see the way that the religious authorities react to this statement. Why would he dare say something that would most likely get him stoned? My interpretation of Peter and his crew's response to the council is that they firmly believe that God has called them to proclaim this message because of their personal experience with God. They didn't pick up this idea in a book that they found in the dirty street or from a traveling preacher who is here today, gone tomorrow, or this random idea that popped into Peter's head when he was on the boat. They are firmly set on sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ because God directly interacted with their lives. Think about it. They spent over three years with Jesus, watching him do unbelievable things like rising from the dead. And then before he departs to heaven, he tells them to go and make disciples. Matthew 28. During Jesus' crucifixion, Peter denies Jesus three times, and then a week or days later, we don't know the time frame, he has a face-to-face encounter with Jesus in which he's able to be fully atoned for his rebellion. Then Jesus tells him, feed my sheep. 
John 21. Then in Acts, the Spirit comes upon them in incredible ways and tells them to go and tell the people the whole message of this life. You hear how many times I've said that? Right? As a teacher, I know if I repeat things like a dozen times, it will be stuck in your head. If nothing else, the Bible contains the whole message of this life. Now for me, these examples and so many other make it undeniable that the disciples' passion to tell others about Jesus is also stemming out of their direct interaction with God himself. I'll give you one more example. Acts 4.13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and ordinary men, they were amazed and recognized them as companions of Jesus. Not scholars of the Torah, but as companions of Jesus. And and this is not something that is only for them. A major premise of the Bible is that God directly interacts with his creation. That means you have experienced God too. I know you haven't hung out with Jesus face to face, but I promise you that you have and continue to experience God on a daily basis. Don't believe me? If you look at your life through a biblical lens, right, through the filter of biblical philosophy that everything we know has been created by an all-powerful and an incredibly loving creator, then you will see God working in your life. And it doesn't have to be only in your hitting rock bottom testimony sort of moments. You can find him in your day to day. Let me show you. Did you make the sunrise today? Did you put breath into your lungs? Do you have a mind, a body, and a support system that allows you to continually get what you need for the day? What did you do to make any of this happen? Again, thinking through the lens of if the Bible is true. Think about what your family and friends mean to you and what they bring to your life. Did you create them? Are they a part of your masterpiece that you are building around you? If you have kids, think about how incredible and beautiful they are. What what did you do to make this happen? Are they solely a result of your 15 seconds of sweaty work? Right? Think about the incredible opportunity and freedom we experience as Americans. When you look at the origin of democracy, equality, and freedom of choice, you will see that it comes directly out of biblical philosophy. If you want to look deeper into that, come and talk to me. I'll give you a name of a book. It'll blow your mind. Everything we have that is good in our culture, is from biblical philosophy, including clocks, eyeglasses, medical technology, on and on. And I hope you're starting to understand the idea that I'm presenting. If you look at your life through the lens of biblical truth, that what the Bible says about us and this world is true, then I promise you, you will see God's hand all throughout your life. Ways that the almighty maker of heaven and earth has has and continues to directly interact every day with your life. Let me give you an example from my own. You know, in looking back on my past month through the filter that God is real, which I haven't done that before this week, but looking back the last month, I find undeniable evidence that he is in my life, specifically working to make my life so much better than anything I could produce on my own. 
So Roz and I, as I mentioned earlier, we own cabins on the backside of Mount Rushmore. This summer, South Dakota is the land of the free, right? And so therefore, everybody wants to be here. Consequently, our business is booming, busier than we've ever been. And with that comes uh, busyness, which requires work. The amount of work needed to get done was pushing me away from sanity and causing me to become tired, cranky, right? Worthless. Just ask my family. In the midst of this, my wife starts speaking biblical truth into my life, that I need to slow down, that I need to focus more on what God is calling me to make my priorities, which I know my priorities are set. God, my family, and what he's calling me to do, specifically right now, Rimrock downtown. Of course, I like the idea, but thinking practically, how could our business continue to operate if I backed away? Obviously, we needed more employees. Before I even made this need known, I received a text from Jana, not here right now, Jana Shankel, about a girl that used to clean their cabins looking for work. She said that God put it on her mind. The following week, during our Sunday gathering, Parrish gave us a chance to make our needs known for the sake of prayer, which I did, saying, man, we're too busy, I need something. The next day, I received an out-of-the-blue text from a former employee wondering if I needed help on the weekends. And with the help of these two employees, I have been given what I need to be able to better live the life that God has given to me, to be able to make things that should be my priority, my priority. But man, it just keeps getting better. Last week, I lost my well-trained and really good-looking pool boy, yard man, and cleaning extraordinaire to college. I don't know if you were here a few weeks ago with his long, flowing hair. He's incredible, but he's gone now. And so, because of this, I was being pulled back to the same spot that I was in before. In telling this to Josh Schmidt, he asked, have you posted for the position? Which I just ignored. I was like, eh, and then just focus on what was really important. But the next day, that thought would not leave my mind. If you need somebody, post. And so I put something on Craigslist. Another former employee of ours started last Monday. An ideal replacement for what we had just lost. What makes it even cooler is that this person and I have a real similar history. Raised in a Christian home, but became addicted to drugs and then should have died. This guy is fresh on the rebound, just now walking out of total brokenness in a near-life encounter. And when somebody is my employee, part of what I pay them to do is listen to me. I love asking people deeper questions about their life and how they think they could make a better life, and then telling them about the God of the Bible. It's almost, if I, it's almost if I pay to evangelize. Now, I have no idea what will happen to this gentleman, but this seems far too good to just be coincidence or chance. And by looking back on my past month with the belief that the God of the Bible is real, it is undeniable to me that, one, he is real. And two, he is directly interacting with my life to give me what I need to survive in a healthy and sane way, as well as putting things into my life so that way I can have purpose, which is what I deeply long to have. And if you do the same, spend 20 minutes this afternoon thinking through that filter that what you believe about the God of the Bible is true, and then looking back at your life, I promise you that you will see ways that in the past you simply dismissed as coincidence or happen chance.
but instead you see them as God himself bringing, what, bringing you what only he can bring. So as we wrap this up, for Peter and the rest of the apostles, their understanding of the whole message of this life and their direct interaction with God himself gave them the ability to boldly declare truth regardless of the situation in which they found themselves. I believe the same can be true for us. If you want to experience God in ways even close to the way that the men and women of Acts did, we must live as if what we believe is true. To do this, it requires you to do more than just coast through your spiritual life with the occasional thought of your faith. I know that's how we do it. So many of us, especially if you were raised in the church, you come on a Sunday, you check it off the list. Every once in a while, you might say a prayer before dinner, but that is coasting. Instead, if you take the time to explore the Bible, to dig into it, to write your thoughts, grab commentary, listen to sermons, pair up with another individual, join a small group, taking time to intentionally explore the Bible and to look back on your life through the lens that God is real, then I promise you, from my experience, from what I hear of other people, from what I see in the Bible, you will experience God in ways that you have not yet. And from that, you will start to gain an innate desire to tell others how real, how powerful, and how good God is. God, right now, we give you our minds. I'm just saying this collectively, just speaking over this whole, whole place, these people. We give you our minds collectively. We desire for you and your realness and your power to be firmly planted in our minds, in the ways that we see our world, in the ways that we operate. Please guide us individually on how to make this happen on how to pursue you more, on how to learn more of who you are, of how to more boldly declare this truth to those around us. God, thank you for making us. Please show us how to live. Amen.